What is up, everybody? Welcome to the highly anticipated second episode of our little show here. Thanks for stopping by and checking out our little podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed episode number one with Glenn Templeton, a true, incredible, incredible voice, a, a truly amazing talent, and an even better guy. If you didn't check out episode number one, make sure you go back and listen to it. You don't have to listen to them in order. It's a podcast, for goodness sakes. So, but do make sure you go by and uh, listen to my little conversation with Glenn Templeton. It has taken a little bit longer than I wanted to get to this second episode, but there's reasons why. It, it took me forever to get the first episode out, and now it, I've had another little setback. You see, I just got back from a two-week run in Las Vegas during the National Finals Rodeo. I'm fortunate enough to host a little party at the Mirage called Rodeo Vegas, so a big shout-out to everybody that came through there uh, over that 10-day period. But I also get to host a stage show there for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, in the middle of the Las Vegas Convention Center. You know, so many people coming in and out of Cowboy Christmas and of Hunter and Outdoor Expo upstairs there at the Las Vegas Convention Center. So many people. Well, one of those people coming through there decided to uh, pop into our little backstage area that is somewhat secure. And obviously, roommate Dave, nobody's supposed to be backstage at our show, but... Uh, somebody decided that they needed to come back there and get my bag that had all of my podcast recording equipment, my laptop, all of my microphones, everything, uh, about yeah, several thousand dollars worth of equipment, and they decided they needed it more than I did. So uh, after hunting them down for a little bit, talking to security there, believe it or not, no cameras anywhere to be found on that property. So uh, that being said, it, it was a major, major roadblock in the podcast. I toyed with for a little while whether or not I even wanted to continue with this but organically this podcast started out and the episodes I had recorded previously all turned into overcoming adversity and being able to get over through or around roadblocks and finally after a few days of, of kind of moping around and being discouraged I decided you know what there's a reason that everything happens and it's time for me to suck it up go replace everything I got and uh you know, keep pushing forward because there's there's a reason that roadblocks happen and it's for us to figure out things about ourselves. So wanted to push forward. But yeah, I know. I know what you're thinking. Roommate Dave, you're looking at me and you're saying somebody stole your stuff. Yeah, they 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 just walked backstage during a show while while nobody was really paying attention and they got all of it. They got almost all of our episodes. So this week uh, we're going to dive back into the archives to a previously recorded episode from back in the summer. Uh, that two-week run in Vegas, I, I had a lot of guests lined up. I had a lot of shows that I was really, really excited to record and conversations I was really excited about, but obviously those did not happen. But this is going to be a fun one because way back in July at a rodeo in California, some random hotel room. I got to sit down and record an episode of this guy's podcast. Now, this is Matt Merritt that I'm going to be talking to today. And if you don't know Matt, he is an incredible entertainer. He is the PBR's Velocity Tour entertainer. So if you've ever went to one of those events uh, on the Velocity Tour, chances are you've seen Matt Merritt in action. He's a great guy. He's a family man. He's a husband. He's a father. Uh, so much fun to be around. And a guy that I have been in a gazillion hotel rooms having conversations just like you're about to hear here today. So with that being said, uh, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoy the conversation. Most importantly, it's Christmas time. So Merry Christmas. That's right. I said Merry Christmas. And 
Next year about this time, I'm going to say Merry Christmas again. And the following year, it's always going to be Merry Christmas to me. Uh, There's a reason that we celebrate the season. Hope everybody has a safe, wonderful holiday. Um, And while you listen to my conversation with Matt Merritt, I'm probably going to go listen to Luke and Bach, Texas, even though you can't hear it on the radio because it's been banned or something or other. I don't know. I'm sure we're going to talk about that in the upcoming episodes. But right now, my conversation with Matt Merritt. You got your nervous coughs out of the way? No, I'm going to probably <laughs> hey, do a lot of them. By the way, we're, we're rolling. We're recording oh, well, already. That's cool. And, and so uh, we were talking before we started this. We actually just got done recording your podcast, Roadcast. But there's something about as soon as somebody says go or turns the mic on, we, we automatically. <clears throat> yeah, I know. I've, gone, I've been out here in this climate for two and a half weeks and I haven't coughed in two and a half weeks. All of a sudden, I go to record a podcast and. <clears throat> yeah let me clear my throat <laughs> who sings that what i uh no Is it sir mix a lot because he was in concert where i was last week what yeah it was awesome wait okay n- tell me i about went over this. there i went over there and i probably stayed for half of one song because after i got there and i realized that i didn't fit in with everybody else my anaconda didn't want none of those <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and baby got yeah back in I, the truck baby and got drove back up and left or the 92 can i be Taurus. can i be completely candid on here absolutely so uh i was at a, a what we call sort of like a showdio yeah so it's like a a rodeo that's really short a one hour deal at a fair at alameda county fair just outside of oakland and the sir mix a lot concert started after our event ended on our last day so there's like 15 other guys there working, tearing down the panels and loading all the hay and doing all this stuff. And I was riding with them. But that's why I left because I felt horrible. <laughs> like, I, like, <laughs> I feel like I'm you Chunk. You didn't want to work. I feel like Chunk from the Goonies right now. Like, and, then I, and then I made the fake vomit and I started making a sound like this. <laughs> <laughs> we, were just, we were just talking on your podcast about... You guys are doing some remodeling at home. Yeah, you you've got a house that's over a hundred years old. One hundred and one years. So yeah, it's it's one year over a hundred. <laughs> Thanks for the simple math. But but your wife is doing a lot of the work while you're on the road. Yeah, does whatever I tell her. I felt like I, I right. I pretty much uh, I do the blueprints. I'm like the architect. <laughs> you realize she's going to be able to listen to my <laughs> podcast. No, and in, in all seriousness, uh, I'm not good at. And I wasn't raised and taught how to do that kind of work, and uh, I don't like to do that kind of work. And I wasn't taught because I wouldn't stick around long enough to <laughs> yeah. listen. Yeah, they tried to teach me how to play guitar until I hit a guy with one. <laughs> That's <laughs> what, not what, true. Were you, not, I was going to say, I were you practicing fight. to be a pro wrestler or what? No, I, I, I used to like to go to wrestling matches, the WWE. I, you're from North Carolina because you just... Louisiana originally. Louisiana originally. Somewhere down in the South because you called it wrestling. Wrestling. We used well, to go to the wrestling matches. My first, I remember going to one when I was probably 12 at the Hearst Coliseum in Shreveport, Louisiana. And you remember Chris Benoit was so small? Yeah. You thought until you see him yeah. in person. He's bigger than dad. <laughs> you're like, holy crap. That guy, I bet he was over six foot tall. No. Uh, he seemed to like. I remember the big show was there, and he walked in, and like a couple of matches later, Benoit comes out, and I was kind of, you know, like the high five area where they walked yeah, down, the, absolutely uh, down you, the aisle, down, down the, the ramp. Aisle. And I remember thinking, he's not that much smaller than the show, yeah. but it had been a while, so maybe you know, maybe I was caught up in the moment. I met the big show one time. Well, kinda, kinda. I was in junior college, Miami, Oklahoma, at NEO, 
And uh, we went to Walmart one random afternoon, and apparently, and this it's crazy. It sounds like, oh yeah, like you didn't know, but I'm I'm a huge wrestling fan. But we stumbled in there. Walmart had just opened in Miami. It was a big, big deal. Oh my god! And and they had the Big Show in there signing autographs. Well, you know, I saw the table, saw the line. I was like, well, I'm not waiting in line, and, and I had to go to the bathroom. So I go in the bathroom, and when I walk in there. There's this gigantic man standing in the bathroom at Walmart smoking a cigarette. And so a Walmart employee. Oh, can you can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Cause if it were me and I walked into any bathroom, especially a Walmart in Oklahoma, and there's a giant man smoking a cigar, my first move is gonna be uh what Lloyd Christmas did in the bathroom stall whenever <laughs> he bass is gonna beat him up. <laughs> Go ahead. So anyways, he's, the big show's in there smoking a cigarette, and this Walmart employee walks in and says, uh, sir, there's no smoking inside the building. And I promise you, big show looked at him, and he goes, huh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and right back to puffing on his cigarette. Just blew it in his face. Uh, he, did, he didn't go that far, but he was, yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't think I've ever met, like, actually met any of those guys, but uh, I really... Uh, I really, all jokes aside, what they do is really amazing. They they are so athletic. Like it, there really is. There's a lot of athleticism. There's a lot of beat. You know, wear and tear on a guy's yeah, they body. Take, they take some beatings. We think we travel a lot. Their travel is probably three times to four times more. You grueling. think it's more plush than what we do, though? I I don't. And here's why: you you start listening to those guys tell stories. Um, there's a lot. There's Anytime we see anybody on TV, you think that their life's a lot better than what it really is. Yeah, true. But then when you start listening to those guys, we're lucky in a sense that we leave home, we fly to one city, we're in one city for a period of time, typically we fly back home. They fly into a city, get a rental car, try to get food in their body, try to get a workout in, go do media, go to a building, work the show, get in their rental car, drive hours to the next show. And they'll do that four nights a week, then turn around and fly home for you know day and a half, two and a half days, something like that, right back on the road to another four cities, and it's the same rotation, you know, land, rental car, gym, eat, work, drive to the next one, so... I know, I know. I'm I'm not trying to take over your podcast here, but I know that you you're going to be really. Uh, uh, you you've told me a lot about what you're planning to do with this and the different types of people you're willing to interview. It, yeah. it doesn't really have a direction, right? I don't want any walls. So what what made me think of is my whole life I've I've enjoyed hunting and fishing. That's like my that's my passion. If I could do that for a living, I did. Uh, you owe everyone. It's Luke Kaufman. Is there any way we can get him in here? Absolutely on not. Uh, I'll I'll call him back later. But anyway. Uh, hunting and fishing is my passion and you think you're talking about how it looks better like I might think that those wrestlers are traveling right. first class and it's right. private jets and stuff well my whole life I've thought I wanted to do the TV hunting and fishing right yeah. like I want to hunt on a TV show and get to do all this cool stuff and see all these big deer and mm -hmm. all that until I really met a couple of those guys and I found out what their schedule's like and how difficult they they, they work like slaves get to to get what you see on TV done. Well, when we think about it, I, and I see it just in the little bit I've been exposed to television. 
to put together a 30 minute television program, there's so much more time that goes into it. And you think about how many, if you're, if you're going on a hunt, it's not like you go out there into the outdoors and within the first five minutes or before the first commercial break, you've already spotted one and now you're starting to stalk it. It just doesn't work like that. It takes time with anything. It's like a career. It takes time to get where you want to be. Yeah. And I, and I don't know, everybody that I talk to, they're like, sort of like being a game warden. If you like to hunt, don't go be a game warden because while well, everybody else is hunting, you're working. Right. Yeah. Hey, back to what we were talking about a minute ago and, and meeting guys, my little run in with, you know, big show, whatever. Who are some of the, have you ever met anybody in this business that you still to this day, you think, man, that, that was a cool moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's some, been some really cool moments, but there's also been some not so cool moments. How so? The worst encounter I ever had with a celebrity happened in Las Vegas. Um, if anybody out there is familiar with Las Vegas, uh, what's the shops at the forum? What casino is that? Uh, it's all connected right there. Caesar's palace. Caesar's palace. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm walking around, I was by myself. Is this a baseball player? Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I do. You probably actually. you probably had a similar run in. I'm sure a lot of people have because it was terrible. But uh, I don't know why I was. I just think I was out there doing some stuff for AT and T or something back when they sponsored the NFR, and I had a little a little hosting gig. But I walk in and there's all these shops. There's like comic book shop and sports memorabilia shop, and I think there's like a, a Sony shop, and, and they have Playstations and all the newest technology in there. Well, as I walk down, kind of down through the aisle there, on the left is a sports memorabilia shop, and boom, right there to my left, I just all of a sudden am two feet away from Pete Rose. Right. So no one's around. There's no line. There is some signage there. Looking back, I, I didn't read it until after the encounter, but I stop and I'm like, "Hi, Mr. Rose. My name's Matt. Uh, I was. I just want to shake your hand and tell you that I, I always." thought you were one of the greatest athletes that ever lived and and he looks down doesn't even look up at me you know he shook my hand but he didn't even look at me and then after i kind of say my little thing about how cool pete rose is he kind of looks up at me and he goes so do you want an autograph and i'll go well yeah yeah uh, i don't really have anything to sign and he looks at me and shakes his head and he's like well you gotta freaking buy something or i'm not giving yeah really oh it was so rude yeah he he wanted me to buy something i, I guess he was there you know that's all he does now. Yeah, like, that, he that, makes that's, millions just look, writing his name. Looking back, the sports memorabilia store had him there, right. probably on some kind of co-op deal. Where uh, the the signage, I, I looked later and it said something like fifty dollar purchase gets this. Like you you would go buy a program or something from a a Cincinnati Reds game from forty years ago, then it costs eighty bucks, and then he'd sign it for free. Yeah, but but now he he lives in Las Vegas, and that is legit. All he does is is sign autographs at those different memorabilia stores around, and they were I heard the number somewhere. He makes millions through the year just signing his name on on memorabilia. It's crazy. As far as good encounters, though, I I don't know that I've. I haven't met. You're really good at meeting people and always being cool around them. I always feel like uh, when, when I see a celebrity, and we're really uh, close proximity to a lot of them quite often, but I feel like I don't want to approach them, right? Because I'm like, I want to be I, cool. Same. I want to be cool enough not to approach them. Yep. But then uh, a lot of times doing what I do, I don't have that downtime. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm in an arena, I'm doing whatever, and then when it's over, you can't walk around dressed like a am in the arena so i have to go change clothes and i miss a lot of those opportunities to get to visit with some people and i'm not really a guy that likes to go to the bar 
and do all that. So sometimes they're at after parties and I don't do all that either. But, uh, no, I've met some really cool people. I think, uh, the closest thing to making a buddy out of somebody was probably Andy Griggs. He's, he's really cool. Isn't he awesome? Yeah. He's, he was cool. I just saw him the other day in Nashville. That guy, he's got a timeless, timeless voice. Yeah, he does. He really does. I know, uh, I know him and Daryl Singletary, uh, were dear friends. Or are dear friends, however you want to say that. It's a sad situation with passing and Daryl. And I got to be buddies with Daryl, too, over the years. Actually, probably I knew Daryl probably more than I do Andy, but uh, I kind of met them through the same situation. And they got a really funny story that uh, you've heard before, the one about how they where they made the fake names up and did the karaoke. Oh, yeah. I've seen the videos. Like, I haven't seen watch, the videos. Oh, I've said – Daryl – in December, we sat and watched the videos and laughed so hard. Those guys, we we started joking uh, back in December at the national finals. We were sitting around, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget these days now. But started talking about putting together a uh, a Dale Singleton and Randy Biggs. Randy Biggs is what he called himself, I think. And yeah. then and then Mark Wills was there too, so we were going to throw Mike Willis in there <laughs> and just send them all out and uh and I was I was I volunteered to host that tour. I wanted to be a part of it, but you know, just yeah. They said they used to go to these karaoke bars in their downtime and they would go on as Randy Biggs and they would like slaughter songs. Oh, and just sing so out of key. And then and then eventually at the end of the night, they'd go up there and just just sing their little hearts. Andy out. Griggs. Andy Griggs is man. He's the real deal. Oh, I know. A lot of those guys are. He made me cry the other day. Legit. I know. Random. A You're headlock, looking at me. No. Like a headlocker with a I'm host at CMA Fest. I got to host the Forever Country stage, and uh, it was the last day of CMA Fest, and it just so happened that Andy was one of the artists, Mark Wills was one of the artists, and both of those guys um, were friends with Daryl. And, uh, so I, I threw on a Daryl Singletary ball cap that Daryl had given me years ago. And that was kind of, that was kind of my way of saying, you know, we miss you buddy. And, and, and as soon as I walk up there, Mark Wills, he goes, that's a pretty good hat for today, buddy. And, uh, then Andy goes on stage and he, and he's playing and, and right before he starts singing, if, if heaven, he stops and he starts talking about you know about missing Daryl and and being fortunate that he'll see him again. Anyways, I I teared up, bald and, and. Is it okay for me to give my full um opinion on here and talk Absolutely. about whatever I want? Yep, it's an open forum. Okay, um, I hate country music today. What comes out the what what is deemed popular and what is celebrated. And I think what Daryl Singletary and Andy Griggs and a lot of those guys did was great. And I think the biggest slap in the face to country music was not in the 2018 award show talking about Daryl, especially since he passed recently. So uh, the CMT Awards, they they did a little presentation. I don't know if it went on television or not, but uh, you know they recognized everybody that passes. And um, I tell you, Here's the deal. There's a lot of guys that don't care about that stuff. What I promise you was was cool was being at the Ryman Auditorium and seeing a guy with the star power of Chris Young come out and sing I Let Her Lie on stage at the Ryman to to celebrate Daryl, to see Mo Pitney come out and sing the note and just not a dry eye in the room. You know, that, those are things that, that are important. But to your point about country music and uh, – today's quote-unquote country music glenn templeton was on one of my podcasts earlier 
and we talked about music. I love traditional country music, but I love music. I do. I, I just, yeah. I love yeah. music. Like too short. I you're not afraid to say that you went to isn't that who you said or Sir Mix a lot. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Never. But no. I'm not. I'm not saying I don't love other kinds of music. I love. There's some crap out there. I love tons and tons of different kinds of music, but the what they're calling country today, yeah. it's it's not the sound of it. To me, it's the lyrics. Like, uh, and and not that I can do any better, but when I go to restaurants, I get to tell you how I like the food. So that's what I'm doing here. I, I, uh, it's a great way to look at it's it. It's true. Uh, we're all we're all taste testers, right? And and as far as music goes, I want some lyrics with at least an inkling of intelligence. When you say girl, biscuit, beer, tailgate, and tractor, or maybe dirt every now and then in the same song, what are you doing? You're pandering. You're not doing anything smart. There's nothing cool about it. You're just trying to get people to buy your crap because you're. it's the easy way out. I'm pretty sure you just saying those words on my podcast just sent it straight to number one. Straight to I number should one. be on top of the charts right now. <laughs> beer, truck. Exactly. I can keep going. Nailed Tailgate. it. Just keep doing it. Biscuit, mom's no, biscuits. But but yeah, my thought is there, there's very little country music left in the world. There's some guys out there that are so good. Easton, Easton Corbin is as good a traditional country music True. as there is. Uh, Glenn Templeton, he's so good. You want to hear my theory on what happened to country music? <laughs> so you can argue with me. Let's do it. All right. So uh, again, I can't even play an iPhone. Right. So, yeah. Uh, but. I grew up in the, I was born in the 80s. And music, you're down with the ladies. Yeah, music music was great. Uh, the 90s come along and um, Garth Brooks happens. And I think, okay, just work with me here. I'm listening. But I think Garth Brooks is the reason that country music sucks so bad today. You ready to hear why before you get mad at me? Please. I love Garth Brooks and I love his music. I think he's great. But he was so good. And he did so much entertaining, and it was almost a pop feel, but it wasn't pop music. He just made it feel that way because he was so... Uh, so energetic. So energetic, yeah. and he put on a concert and a show. He was the first country artist ever to do that. And then he made everybody else feel like, okay, we can we can kind of get a little more mainstream and away from kind of this Waylon Jennings feel, and it's, you know what I mean? Away from what 80s country had been. And then all the people that fought along behind him can't do it like he did it, but... They found out how to how to pull at the strings and say the stupid pandering song. I mean, some of the worst songs I've ever heard, I would say, are either grunge metal or a couple of country. I mean, there's some country songs that are horrible. Aaron Tippins' Kiss This makes me want to karate chop myself in the testes. Aaron Tippins' Looking for My Blue Angel makes me want to dance the night away. It's a great one, but his... It's a great one. He reared back and let her have it again, man, and I said... So you think that because Garth Brooks was so different that he ruined country music? That he was so good and on another level that he ruined what would become country music from that point forward. It would be like, is, I mean, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it would be let, like. Okay, let me ask you this: Did Elvis ruin rock and roll? No, Why? Well, rock and roll didn't really exist before him. He was the king of rock and roll. Yeah, but before him, it's not like he changed something and he created something. Where where Garth Brooks' country music been existed forever, it seemed like decades, and then Garth Brooks comes along and he is the first person to change something that already existed. And then everybody after him that tried to follow in the footsteps of change and to make it more progressive, they failed. I feel so much dumber after listening to you. That's just my just belief. Say that. 
It's I, what it's so, what I believe. So to go on record, Matt Merritt yes. says Garth Brooks ruined country music. Yes, but not because he sucks, but because everybody that tried to be like him sucks. You know, there's a, there's a good chance he doesn't listen to this podcast. So anyway. Yeah, if he does, uh, he probably could beat me up because he played a hot corner for the Padres once. If I went through, if I went through your, your iTunes right now, what would be the most embarrassing thing on your phone? Probably Pitbull's... Uh, um, I'm trying to think of the name of that song. It's uh, Fireball. Yeah, Pitbull's good, though. Fireball. That one. Really? Yeah. You, that's the most embarrassing thing. I'm looking at, oh, uh, Boy George's Karma Chameleon. Okay, Tony. there you go. Oh, right. But I have that because I do a podcast, too, and uh, I used it for an exit song when I had Flint Rasmussen on there. <laughs> uh, it fit him. I like to have songs that fit people. It is. I have a lot of stuff I'm proud of on here, though. Like what? Like Creedence Clearwater Revival's Bad Moon Rising, George Strait's Amarillo by Morning, Coulter Wall Sleeping on the Blacktop. I can keep going. Yeah, please don't. Mm-hmm. My favorite song ever is uh, Desolation Angels by Reckless Kelly. Really? You know that song? I, I do, yeah. Yeah, it describes everything that I do. Speaking of what you do, <laughs> how, did, how did you even get into this world? How did you oh, my become... My mom and dad, it was 1981. Uh, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was my fault. How did you get into being a, a PBR entertainer slash rodeo clown, whatever you want to call it? Well, I grew up in uh, North Louisiana. Like you, well, you grew up in Oklahoma, so you'll understand this. But Western sports is not like far fetched idea, right? Can't grow up in Cleveland and be introduced to it, probably like right. like I was where I lived. And uh, there were kids that rode bulls and steers and sheep growing up and all that. And I never really got into the contestant thing. But my mom started dating and a guy, uh, guy when I was in high school that was an announcer, and. Uh, he, uh, oh, I had already gone to some rodeos around the house there and watched and all that and been a little bit involved. And I got on a couple steers or whatever at this place up the road. Actually, Heath DeMoss, uh, yeah. he, he married the daughter of the man who had the little event there by my house. So where they say they live in Heflin, Louisiana, that's where I'm from. Them boys originally weren't from there, but, uh, they moved in there after I left and grew up. But anyway, so mom's dating the guy that's announcing and, uh, he helps me get started and, um, by the time I was 17, I was, I was, uh, making more money than my school teachers and I wasn't making a lot back then, but I make, you know, six, 800 bucks a week. And I thought I'll never see another poor day in my life. Yeah. And, uh, I learned a lot in those years and uh, I was very scripted and I used to go by the, dude, you're going to, I don't know, you might not even know this. I used to go by the name Matt, the comical Cajun merit. And I did my entire, I would do the entire performance in a Cajun accent. Really? Oh, yeah. So you, you kind of had that whole raging Cajun vibe. I did the whole cake because I was from Louisiana, and I didn't really talk like a Cajun. Anybody that's from down there knows that it's really a small portion of the population. Wait, give talks. us a little of uh, the comedic Cajun. Well, okay, you got to imagine it's the 90s, right? Is that what it was? The, com- the, the comical Cajun. The comical Cajun. It was the 90s, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, so it's like back when Tyson was getting in his last fights. And I can remember one of the crappy jokes that I told was, uh, is, I guess, Tyson and Holyfield were supposed to be fighting. And then Ross Perot was running for president as an independent, and that had gained a lot of ground in and, and the media. you know. So I remember saying, do you guys know there's going to be another fight on the, on TV this week? It's going to be uh, Mike Tyson versus Ross Perot. You got to watch it on paper, too. Because he chewed people's ears off. It was a horrible joke, but I I feel like that Cajun grew up in the Bronx. 
Yeah, it's I've got lost a bit it. Of a New York but take. I've lost it too because that was heck. That was twenty years ago, fifteen or twenty years ago, and uh, I would actually, I actually was around people that talked like Cajuns, so I had something to emulate. It's been a minute. We all do that. That's weird. If you're around a bunch of Cajuns, all of a sudden you start talking. Yeah, when a when slower. we go to Australia, we you're to Australia. people, mate. Yeah, yeah. Good on you. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff though that. Like Australians get accused of saying that they don't. They don't say. I've never heard them say shrimp on the bobby. No, they hate it when you say that. And you know they don't like outback. It's They'll, so weird. The, there's not. A, there's one outback in that whole country. It's in Wollongong. Yeah, we we went over there how many times before we saw? We, it? A, we threw Molotov cocktails at it because we were mad too. No, actually, we didn't. We did not <laughs> do that. It, just in case. But if statute of limitations is up, yeah, we might have. Um, but there's a lot of things like that. You, we, you get around certain people, you start to pick up their their dialect and their tone. You turn on a microphone, all of a sudden, <coughs> yeah, you're coughing. There's, yeah, there's random things in the world that like our you, mind. Just, human beings are weird. They are. I mean, you get there's a whole group of people that tried to be like Garth Brooks. I mean, <laughs> you just don't know what humans are gonna do. Humans are weird. Like we talked on your podcast earlier, coming to California. They're not as weird as koalas. Coming to California, well, but they probably carry a lot of the same things. Coming to California, everybody uses their horn all the time for no reason at all. I have a theory on that, though. What's that? You should, I think, I swear I remember in driver's ed, anytime you yield, you're supposed to use your horn. I think I part of yielding that. is using your horn. So, like, if you see a sign, like you're getting onto an interstate and there's a yield sign, you got to blow your horn. Did you go to driver's ed in Louisiana or North yeah, Carolina? Yeah, Louisiana. See, I went to driver's ed in Oklahoma, and the only time we used our horn is when the dog didn't get up, wake up, and get out of the street, or if we were within five feet of the car in front of us. I uh, I remember driver's ed. So, in Louisiana, we got them when we were younger, I think. I was like 14 when I had my permit and 15 when I had my license. So I remember driving to school my first day of school as a freshman. And uh, we were I remember being in driver's ed, and, and we lived in a small community in Webster Parish. So they would bring all the kids from all the different small schools to one location for driver's ed, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I got to do it with the 28 people in my class. We had to go to Minden, and uh, we were in Minden High School cafeteria. And I was wild as a deer and just stupid. And all these other girls are around, you know, and stuff. And I don't do anything for attention. And some kid, he passes around the hat, taking up money. And they got like $92 in this hat to get me to climb a pole in the center of the room that went up to the ceiling real high. It's like in the middle of this big vault ceiling cafeteria. And scream, I'm a fireman, <laughs> and slide back down. They just wanted to see somebody do something dumb, you know. So in, right in the middle of the deal, the teacher's talking about yielding or something, and I I shimmy up the deal and scream, I'm a fireman, and slide down, my thighs and my shorts are on the paint, and make it to the bottom, I got $92. So that was your first paying gig as an entertainer, <laughs> that really? That was the first one, yeah, that's where, that's where it all started. I wish I could scream, I'm a fireman more, and just make 92 bucks. True story, and I won't name any names, but... uh. In my driver's ed class, I was in the back seat, and you know, a driver's ed car, they have a a brake on the passenger side. You got you got to go, go. I, it's I, okay, I, hurry. But but there's a brake on the passenger side where our driver's ed instructor would, in case of an emergency, be able to hit the brakes. We're driving along on a side street in the town next to where my high school is, and the guy that's in the driver's seat in the class cruising along, and there's there's a car parked kind of in the side of the street and we're 
cruising a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. And then all of a sudden, our driver's ed instructor has to slam on the brakes because we're just a few feet away from hitting this car. And he looks at the kid and he says, did you not see that we were about to hit that car? And as God, as my witness, the kid's response was this simple. He looked him right in the eye and he said, well, he's parked in the street. He was going to hit the car because it was parked in the street. And apparently he thought that was illegal, but. That was neither here nor there. We all survived. We passed. I think most of us passed, but that is uh, beside the point. So anyways, right now we are in Folsom, California. It's been a long time since we've got to work together. Um, and, And to be quite honest with you, listening, Matt just got up and left. Just absolutely got up and left Hang on, put my earphones back on. Where'd you go? I do a pee, man. Okay. That's <laughs> horrible. I, I said... They, they, you wanted no walls. I said from day one, I want this podcast to be as real yeah, as I had it to, can be. had to go. It's almost the 4th of July, and I just made a urination proclamation. <laughs> we're, we're in Folsom, California. We stumbled onto the Folsom prison today. Uh, it's, it's been a long time. beautiful, which is weird. It's weird. It's the most beautiful I, I prison. I wouldn't mind being stuck in there. Well, we, we haven't been inside. We've been on or the outside, and it looks really, really nice. But most we haven't got to work together way. in a lot, a lot. Most prisons are that way. They're beautiful on the outside, but you, not on the inside. You've seen a lot of them. I'm a, I'm a, I go there mostly for the conjugal visits. You have lost your mind. <laughs> I spoke. I spoke at a prison one time. Yeah, I was uh, in charge of a mentoring program, the Boys and Girls Club. Oh, and, really? Yeah, and uh, I had to go speak to a bunch of incarcerated fathers about this program and about trying to get their their kids. You know what? In all seriousness, I bet I bet the prison's full of people that have done no more than things that me and bu- buddies of mine have done sometimes you, you think about it or you think they're full of just really bad people i don't know i i mean i think i'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason so yeah yeah uh i'm not in prison for a reason bingo I, I, I at one time made really bad decisions not that i was like ever on the drugs or anything like that right but, but i was an idiot in high school i mean i drank and drove when i was young and it was the dumbest thing i could have and i mean when i was a teenager i i did that some a couple of times and what if i would have got caught every time i did it no and not even getting three caught. strikes what what not even getting caught what if, what if something stupid happens and somebody else gets hurt that that's what i worry about yeah it's scary it is it's scary i have kids so it's even scarier but anyway we haven't worked together in a long time we haven't yeah and so it's gonna be kind of fun it's gonna be really fun this rodeo is different too because uh Anybody that's familiar with Western sports, you you usually have, you know, whatever, seven events at a rodeo, and that makes four or five breaks throughout the night that I have to fill. I had a bull riding, you buck 40, 50 bulls. Again, four or five breaks that I have to fill, uh, and and the announcer and I, we work together. So Matt and I, we've worked really hard through the years to kind of hone our craft. This rodeo in Folsom, it's so different. They have – it's like – I compared it to a minor league baseball game. Because they have uh, Taryn and uh, Adam, who are two personalities. A- Adam's like a radio personality that mm-hmm. that come, he dresses like Uncle Sam here at this rodeo, which it's over the fourth, so that makes sense. And then Taryn, it's like all of a sudden the cameras. There's like five roaming cameras here. It's a really nice facility and nice screens and all that. But it'll just go to camera. Who's here with uh, 
John Doe's dental clinic for the smile cam of the night. And then she'll be talking to somebody interviewing. And then it'll go back to us in our rodeo mode. And it's weird because they are a team and they're, they're talking about sponsors and they're, they're entertaining in some way too. And then it goes back to us and we're a team and we're rodeo and I'm doing my thing and Matt's doing his. It's just kind of, you know, what's funny about that whole little thing that you just talked about is you started by saying we spent all this time honing our craft. You say that like we've spent a lot of time really trying to become more and more professional. You know, we don't spend a lot of time trying to become more more professional, but we've worked so many together. We've been lucky. Yeah. We've worked so many together that we figure each other out, and uh, that's the thing. You remember the first time we, we worked together? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I sure do. So uh, let's let everybody in behind the curtain. Yeah. And, so we start recording your podcast earlier. Yeah, we did. And uh, you start saying some really nice things, some flattering things about me and 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 I mentioned the first time we met, and you had no idea at all. I couldn't all. remember where we worked our first event together, so and he's all heard about it. Then you look down and you say, oh, I don't have this recording. Yeah, I didn't hit the record button. Are you recording right now? <laughs> like, am, uh, yeah, he said that, and then he looked, looked at his Yeah, device. I just looked to make sure. But. No, uh, we, 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 did, we told this story earlier, so now I know, but it was in, in, in no, Asheville. No, 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 but, but I want to talk about what happened tonight, because oh, yeah. you didn't know. You realize we're not recording, so we start over recording your podcast, and then you go in to tell them the story. Yeah, well, you know, when we first met, and like like you knew. Well, I did know then. You jogged my memory. You tried to play it off. You jogged my memory. It's sad. But we did. We met in North Carolina. In Asheville, yeah, pretty close to my house. It's actually a place where I'd done tons and tons of events, and uh, we did a bull riding there together, and... Uh, you know, like in in doing what we do, working with the uh, the people that you work with that you can count on is probably the most important thing that makes you good at what you do. I've actually, uh, well, Matt West and myself and Richard Jones did an event once in Florida, and uh, they do a big rodeo there. But we did a bull riding there, separate separate time of year and everything from their rodeo, and they uh, they came over to me personally and said, "Hey, we would really like to have you. We really think you're awesome. We want you at our rodeo." And I said, well, you need to hire these other two guys because I can't be as good as I was tonight without their their help. And there's something to be said about that. It's just like a good band, right? Yeah. They, you just figure each other out and you know where the other guy's going and you help them. And uh, I know you may think that I'm rambling on about what we do because you think entertainer, rodeo clown, and rodeo or Western sports announcers, it's nothing, nothing big. But we're really proud of the product that we put out and how we can – we can go to an event where things fall apart and it should be a two-hour event and instead it's a two-hour and 45-minute event. And I want you to realize that a lot of times when it when it turns into that two-hour and 45-minute event, that literally means there's 45 minutes of myself and the other guy with a microphone here and whoever's playing the music. Just trying to figure it out as we go. Just entertaining people and and hiding from them the fact that things have, the wheels have fell off for whoever's handling the animals or whatever the problem may be. We fill that up. Because in a live show, we don't have commercial breaks. We can't just throw to you know, a commercial and then try to collect ourselves and keep going. Well, like on the podcast right now, if if we felt like it, or when you go to back and you edit yours. Right. When he goes back and edits. I don't. His, somebody else does. Well, yeah. yeah. When, when editing happens, if they've got a part of this show that's terrible, they can- We'll cut it out. Ed, edit that out, and they can th- throw a commercial in anywhere, whatever. However, uh, that does, you can't do that at a live show. When you got eight thousand people watching you, you have to fill it in. And you know what? That's uh, 
that's the thrill and the challenge that I do this for. And yeah. I, that, and also the fact that things have changed so much. And maybe you'll get it, Matt. But I've been doing this for nearly twenty years. And even when I first started, you could still do very slapstick kind of stuff and corny things worked really good still. And I did a lot of that. And it's still that stuff still works some. But now everybody's got phones that mm-hmm. have uh, entertainment that is absolutely tailored to that person. Because if I like. Like a woman's going to go on Pinterest and she's going to click on every single exact thing that she likes. On Facebook, you're going to follow what you want to see. So anytime you want to be entertained, you pick your phone up. If you're a baseball fan, you have apps for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my point being, you can't really come out there with a clown act anymore that it, that people can halfway figure out where it's going. You got to come out now and really surprise people so that they'll pay attention. Otherwise, they don't. Like I, I think anything in life right now and whether it's business whether it's you know your position it has to be so different than anything else that's out there on the market today i i feel like you know for a long time let's go back to music you know so and so's putting out songs that sound like this well so and so's music starts coming out it starts to sound like this then all of a sudden everything starts sounding the same you've got to come out and be so different you've got to be like a garth brooks and be just so drastically different than everything else to be at that next level of success. Yeah, you do. You just got, you have to set yourself apart. I don't know how to tell you to do that in whatever business you're in. And I don't really know how I'm going to do it next week, but I try to find something that makes me different and, uh, break away from the mold, but still stick to some of the traditions. You know, uh, there's people that when I've, I've, I started wearing shorts and jerseys and, uh, more an athletic look for a long, long, long time ago. And, um, I had people tell me, like I was working IPRE rodeos back home, and they thought I didn't have enough makeup on my face for a clown. They thought that I had to wear baggies, and they they would stop me and go, you ain't going to work my rodeo if you're going to just wear shorts like some kind of bum. Like, what? Yep. But now everybody's doing those things, you know, and it's just funny how you see things changing. But you still need to hang on to some traditions, I think. I used to play my own music at rodeos and, and used to go to a lot of smaller rodeos and, and I'd play my own music, take my own speakers and everything. And I'll never forget. I played, uh, you remember the song Nelly and, and I don't remember who else was Nelly there, and, but, uh, but shake your tail feather. Yeah. Played it at a rodeo one time. And a guy told me, you're never going to do anything in this business, playing that crap like that. Oh yeah. Which is hilarious because that same night, I got a phone call, or, or a guy came up to me, gave me his his card, uh, took my number, and asked me to come announce a rodeo for him. And it was an African American rodeo, and they wanted me to do all of their events. Yeah, and they paid better than that eighty year old man that was just kind of an asshole. Yeah, no, yeah. and and that, but you run across that in every yeah. business. Uh, so I guess you do need to hang on to some of the traditions of something. Absolutely. But like that, I would tell people back then, they were like, well, you need to be wearing baggies. You can't just wear shorts. And I'd say, okay, how about I don't wear a microphone? And I just scream at the audience every time I want to say right. something. Because that's the way everybody did it back then. But you know what? Like Everybody that's ever been successful has been criticized when it happened. Let's go back to talking about Elvis. Elvis, how much criticism did he get? Yeah, he was hated. He yeah. Keep in our industry. Look at Flint. When Flint started doing what he did, started getting away from traditional quote unquote rodeo comedy acts and just started doing walk and talk and dancing, you know, there was criticism and people oh, sure there know. was. But then all of a sudden, he's he's the standard. 
He's the he's the bar that everybody's trying to reach. Yeah, he figured it out, and uh, I always I give him credit every chance I get for uh, creating a position for a guy like me. Yeah. Um, without him doing what he's done and and being so awesome at what he does, the position that I have now isn't even available. But in all fairness, you you have the same position, but you are very different than he is, which I think is cool. Yeah. No. Uh. I, I I don't know how to explain it. I I never would want to copy any. I, I actually go out of my way not to copy anything. He actually Mark Stevenson who plays music. I've worked a, a number of events with him, and we we're in Lewiston, Idaho once. And Flint does this thing where he uh, he goes kind of through these progression of dances, and I've seen Flint do it uh, a right. bunch of times. Mark tried to play that progression of music for me, and he was standing there laughing because he thought it was funny, right? To pick on me, knowing that you know the greatest ever at what I do does this exact thing and I wouldn't do it. And it was kind of awkward for me, maybe, maybe not for the crowd, but for me it was because I refused to do it. I was like, uh-uh, I'm, I'm shaking my head at Mark going, not going to dance to that. I'm not going to do it because I tried that hard not to copy but, him. And I think that just shows how respectful you are and, and like how much respect you have for that guy. Yeah, no, no doubt. That guy is, uh, he's amazing. He's one of the wittiest human beings on the planet. And he, he's the first guy in my industry to, make a living outside of an arena and to do it without makeup on all the time, which to me speaks volumes about how truly talented he really is. Cause anybody 20 years ago could go and write down 50 good jokes and on a, on a card and remember them. And when it comes time for the rodeo to fall apart, the announcer goes, Hey, what are you doing out there? John Doe. And you'd say, well, let me tell you about my wife. She got stuck in a phone booth, and then you get a punchline. And I had a bad day today. Why, yeah. Why'd you have Why? a bad day? I was in Walmart. And there, and, all that yeah. stuff's funny, and it works great. But a lot, it would be easy. It would be an easier thing to learn how to do what he does. Just, just talent. Who else besides Flint? We talk a lot about Flint, and because he's the modern era, he's the guy that we all see now. But who, who else? Who else did you look up to? Who? Let me. Let me. I'm gonna put you on the spot. Mount Rushmore in your business. Oh, okay. Uh, you got Flint. Uh, Flint, you very unique. Yep. Very special. You got Rudy Burns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in Louisiana. I grew up being around Rudy Burns. Uh, actually got left at a rodeo one time by my buddies because they thought I was in somebody else's car and I was actually in Rudy's trailer. I was probably 15. I got left. I was like three hours from my house. I had really? to walk to a Dairy Queen and borrow their phone. It was before cell phones. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rudy Burns. Keith Isley is a, another just class act. I think a lot of Keith. And uh, Keith actually fought bulls too really well. People may not know that. He fought bulls really well. He could trick ride, do everything that you can imagine. It's something about that guy and the way that he walked. Uh, I don't know how many people are on Mount Rushmore. I get one more. Four. Four, so I get one more. Uh, it's it's so hard to pick. Cause there's there's a lot of my guy, peers out there now that I, I think a lot of. But I'm gonna I want to give you a name of a guy that you're you can't probably Google. You no one ever knew who he was. He wasn't famous or anything. And his name is Gary Crocker. But um, he lived in a, a refurbished tobacco barn in North Carolina behind a guy. He took an old tobacco barn and made a house out of it. It was the coolest place ever. He had the rope that Chris Shivers got on little yellow jacket on for a million bucks hanging in there. He had uh, bareback riggings. He had uh, Rex Dunn's uh, hood off of a car that Rex Dunn. He had, it was like a museum. Uh, but 
Chris Furr, who actually fights bulls now and has won Reno two times in the freestyle bullfight, and that was his grandpa. And uh, he was a mentor to me, and he helped me a lot. And I don't know if he was a great liar or what, but he had some cool stories. <laughs> and I'd go sit and listen to that man's stories, and he would tell me, you know, it, he was a, a guy that was honest with me, and he helped me be who I am today. And he he, uh, he would tell me, you can't be lazy. You have to go out there and dig a hole just so you can fill it up. Give yourself something to do. Keep your mind fresh and sharp. And, you know, I say that because I was a 17-year-old kid when I met him. And, yeah. you know, I was going to sleep till lunch and drink a two-liter of Coke and eat a bunch of pork rinds and not do nothing all day. You know how you are when you're yeah. a teenager. And he he slapped me around a little bit. And he had so many I, the stories I could repeat that he's told and how funny they were about his days as a clown. And he just did some rodeos for, you know, he worked for Loretta Lynn and uh, did what they called the Longhorn Apiary Rodeos back then. And Yeah. You ever get the feeling that, that that's really why we do what we do and not, not to pay our bills, but for the stories. I mean, because we, we sit around, we sit around constantly and, and we'll tell the same stories. I'll tell you a story Gary told. Uh, I, I'll tell you one because on my podcast a minute ago, we kind of talked about this. But he used to always tell me that the uh, the only way to truly entertain any anybody is to is to make them feel every emotion. Right. All right. So you scare them with some pyro. Mm-hmm. Right. You make them cry whenever a guy gets hurt and they feel bad for the guy. You make them cheer whenever he wins first place. You make them laugh when you do something funny. But you show people all these emotions. So he claims he had this act. Okay. And this act <laughs> that he did could do all this stuff. And he did the act two times. One time he did it, he got smooth, ran out of Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, like legally binded not to come back. Wait, what? Oh, yeah. It, it's a great story. So he gets his he gets his little dog from the pound, like a small dog, like a, I'm trying to think of what kind of breed he told me it was. It was like a, like a little, uh, like a rat terrier, like a small yeah. something like that. Maybe like a chihuahua? A little bigger than that. It was more like a Chihuahua's pretty like a rat terrier. Like okay. I said. All right, so he's got he's got this dog, and he gets this grand idea, and he takes an umbrella. And you know, at the top of an umbrella, there's like a a point on some umbrellas. Mm-hmm. So he drills a hole in that, and then he ties fishing line to it, and he takes a fishing pole apart, and it's like a really short fishing rod now. And it's just the real and the very short rod, like with one eyelid on it. And he's got a guy up in the top of the Charlotte Coliseum. All right. Dog's tied to it. Imagine. Dark house. This this fairly overweight clown gentleman named Gary Crocker <laughs> in the sixties. Walks out into the arena and they're playing Patsy Klein's uh Lonely. I think it was Lonely. Yeah. So he said he, he walks out in the arena. And it's just dark house, spotlight on this hobo clown walking around. He's got like a stick with a bandana. You know, looks like he's traveling. Mm-hmm. He walks around and he said he kicks over a cigar in the arena, finds a cigar and he picks it up and lights it. And he said at that point, at first everybody was sad because you're a lonely clown walking around. And now everybody feels a little better for him because he found a cigar and he's getting to smoke it. And it's the 60s, right? Right. So he's smoking his cigar. Well, then all of a sudden, boom. Spotlight hits and it's a, a fire extinguisher over here. Or not a fire extinguisher, a fire hydrant. And he's got this leash in his hand, one of those stiff leashes, like a dog, an imaginary dog is on the end of it. And now the leash is pulling at his arm. So they were a little bit scared because he all of a sudden it hits with the fire extinguisher or fire hydrant. And now the 
the leash is going away from him, and he's fighting the leash, pretending there's a dog on it. And he makes his way over to the hydrant, and he turns the leash sideways. Now they giggle because it looks like the imaginary dog that doesn't really exist is peeing on the hydrant. All right, well, as it's peeing on the hydrant, somebody hits a switch, and the hydrant explodes. Boom! He said, now they're really scared. It's a terrifying explosion. So he flies back onto the ground. Now we're now the two spotlights. One is on the clown on the ground, and the other is on this dog that is floating down ever so slowly on this umbrella. What? Yeah. So so the dogs they're they're reeling the dog down really slowly from the rod and reel up in the ceiling. And they said the dog gets down to him the first time. The first night they did it, and he takes a dog and he had a little. Um, he said it was a little deal that went around his finger that had a blade on, it, and he could cut the fishing line off the top of the. Um, the umbrella very effortlessly, and you wouldn't tell that he was cutting it. And there, there's him and the dog, and standing ovation. They walk out, not not a word is spoken. And he said it was the greatest act. Literally got a standing ovation because it reached all the emotion. Well, the second night, I guess what he never did is when he drilled the hole in the top of the umbrella, he never took a file and and got the burrs off of it all the way. So that fishing line had been taking the weight of this dog the first night. <laughs> he said. Oh he said. He said the dogs, they're dropping the dog down after the whole act, and he said it's probably, I don't know, 20 feet from him, so pretty high up in the air, and it's almost all the way down when the string, he said the, the string breaks, and he said the worst part of it was, he said he caught the dog, he said, but as the dog was falling, he gave out this, like this terrible dog cry. So now he catches the dog, and he said first thing he does is just runs out of the arena with the dog as fast as he can. Oh. And he said then the cops come over there and they make him leave. So he said he's at home later and he's sitting on his porch and the little dog is in there with it. He's in the house and he comes out to the porch and he's got his umbrella out there and he's got him a little file, like a chainsaw file that'll fit in that hole. And he's getting the burrs off that. And he said the dog comes over there and he's looking at him, file that umbrella. And he said the dog jumped over the porch fence and he said never seen him since. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the end of it. That's the kind of stories Gary could tell. I want you uh, he, uh, he was a... Can you can I tell another one? Yeah, his, yeah sure. His stories are... Yeah, because you can edit it out if you didn't <laughs> like it. Remember? He he told me so historically rodeo entertainers have always had a monkey, right? A lot of guys There's have. been a few, yeah. There's a yeah. lot of guys have a monkey. Well he said that he found out about this monkey for sale one time. So he Gary and his brother Larry, they're gonna go and, and pick up this monkey Gary's gonna buy from some fella. They get there and the monkey's tied to the barn with a logging chain around his neck. Like this heavy duty chain. He's like a really strong chimp. He's a big, big chimp. So he said they they get there, and Gary's like really tough old cowboy type, you know. So they get there, and the 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 guy says, "All right, that's eight hundred bucks to buy the monkey or whatever the money was." He said, "All right, I'll give you the eight hundred bucks, but here's the deal: as soon as I give you the money, that monkey's mine, and I do whatever I want to that monkey." He says, "I don't care whose property I'm on. If I pay, it's my monkey." So guy says, "Yeah." Whatever. Monkey, we trade money, it's your monkey. So he said he gives him the money and he said he walks over there first thing and the monkey stands up with this logging chain around his neck. Gary said he rears back and just pop, just smokes that monkey. Hit yeah, right in the nose. Said knocked him out. And he put a he took a five gallon bucket and stuck it over the monkey's head after he punched him and left him laying there, like knocked out, like went stiff playing the imaginary guitar. Like, knocks out this monkey. Unhooks the chain, throws the monkey in the truck with a bucket on his head. So Larry 
is his brother. He's in the passenger seat of the single cab truck. Monkey's in the middle. Gary's, the Bernie style, Gary, Gary's driving and Monkey's laid out with his bucket on its head. And I wish I had we had camera right now so I could show you what it looked like, the way he showed me. They're driving down the road. Said the monkey woke up and took both hands, one hand on the right and left side of the bucket, lifts the bucket up over his head to where he can see, and said, and Gary balled his fist up and kind of looked at that monkey like he was fixing to hit him. He pulled the bucket back down over his head. <laughs> said that monkey kept a bucket with him everywhere he went, and anytime he'd get in trouble, he'd put the bucket on his head, and, and he never forgot that Gary was the dominant one. Like, And I'm I'm being serious. I guess it worked as a training method, according to him. Hey, grab the little trash can right there see if it'll fit over your head real quick we're yeah. gonna try some stuff yeah that's the craziest but thing that, I've ever that heard. man i'm telling you uh he he actually went to culinary art school and cooked for president ford uh and he did so many things everything he did he just took it to the to the limit and i just want to be like him that's why i would put him as my a guy on mount rushmore he doesn't have to be famous you know we all have that grandpa or that uncle or somebody in our life that we think the world of that they don't have to be famous. And uh, I have my, my father and my grandfather were great people, and I look up to them too. But as far as what I do for a living, that's that guy's my hero. You know what's funny is because I never saw this coming, but that kind of tied back into what the, the premise of this podcast has kind of started to become. And, and the name, more importantly, sometimes sounds a little sarcastic, but ultimately it's about never judging a book by the cover, you know, because we see these athletes, we see – these celebrities, we see people that are in your position that, you know, you, you see one side of them on social media or on TV or whatever the case may be on stage. But there's always something that, that you know, more importantly, they may be an entertainer, but more importantly, you're a husband and a father. And you start telling those stories and these stories where I almost hated this guy. And then you come back and you're like, well, you know, he went to school for culinary arts. He worked for a president. He did this and this, this, this. There's always something else that comes with every story. Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, you never want to judge a book by its cover, uh, and you never know who you're talking to. Yeah, you know how many times that's I've, true. I've met. So I was in Bakersfield, California, one time, and I'm sitting at a uh, the little hotel lobby bar. I'm having coffee, and a couple people there having a beer. It was it was like I think it was before performance, which the hotel we stay at is right by the Coliseum. It's basically connected to it. And I'm talking to this guy. And um, he gets up and he leaves, and the bartender comes over. He's like, do you know who you're talking to? And I'm like, the bartender? <laughs> he goes, no, the guy that just left. I go, no, who is that? And he told me his name. I couldn't remember it right now if I had to, but he owns the well, that really famous racehorse, California Chrome. Really? Yeah. So the guy comes back, and I'm like, hey, guy just told me you own California Chrome. And he goes, yeah. I do, actually. So we get to talk, and he tells me and shows me these pictures, and the guy's a millionaire, you know, and he's telling me all this stuff about this horse. And then uh, I was actually, I work for Flying New Rodeo Company, and Cotton Rosser, who is uh, the owner and the sole proprietor of that, well, his son Reno runs it too, but he's a big part of it, Mr. Cotton, for years. He's in every Hall of Fame rodeo and Western sports. He's a legend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he knew Cotton, and he actually had worked for Cotton when he was a young man. Huh. And uh, it was just kind of neat. You just never know who you're talking to. You know, this is a guy that had I been in the in the horse business or something like that, here I could have been sitting there talking to a guy that I could learn so much from. You know, and yeah. you, you want to like a butthole, and or how are you going to be around people? You get to choose every day. How, you're how do you act. want that person to remember you when they walk away from that conversation? Yeah, exactly. And so that leads me to this. You know, we're going to wrap up here in just a minute, but when 
when we're a hundred years old and we're the guys that, you know, hopefully we all want to be the guys that the young kids are talking about and they're laughing about, you know, like those crazy old farts. How do you want to be remembered? Well, I guess, uh, I'll start off with my answer by saying, I feel like everybody's living just to see how big their funeral can be. <laughs> serious. That's a, that's a, very true statement. It is. I think everybody wants to be remembered. Uh, it, it's like wanting to have a son. So your legacy vest is on, or something like that. Everybody's kind of got a little bit of that in them. All. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree with you because I want to have the smallest funeral possible because I want to outlive everybody yeah. that knows. <laughs> yeah, nobody's me. left. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I want to be the last man standing. You, you get what I'm saying? Though. Yeah, you know, absolutely. you 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 want a lot of people to to care enough about you that that it's a big deal. And and I think uh, I right now I'm 36 years old and I'm in the middle of my career and things are going good for me. So I I'm very career focused right now. But I think more importantly, uh, I've got a family. I've been married for nearly 15 years, and I've got a nine and a six year old daughter. Um, I want people to remember me as a Christian guy that uh, made mistakes, but always knew better, and he hurt when he made them. And I'll, I want people to remember me for loving my family and for always trying to provide for them. Uh, of course, I want people to, I mean, I would love to be inducted into some kind of hall of fame at some point or to be so good at what I do that people always remember is one of the greats. But, uh, I think in anything you do, whether you're a welder or an entertainer or a professional athlete, um, if you'll put the love of what you're doing first, you know, and you just kind of focus on you and you'll be happy with what you're doing, then all that other stuff's going to come along. So all these young bull riders out there that the ones that can ride really well, but then they, they go in these slumps well, I think number one reason that guys go into these slumps is because they're too worried about everything else around them. When if they would just worry about themselves and being good at what they do and being happy, then all that money and the women and any whatever they're after is going to come. I think you hit the nail on the head with the word happy. I think no matter what you do in life, and, and there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are maybe on their way home from work and they're they're at a miserable job, change it. Change it. Yeah, quit. You don't, you don't have to, you know, we, we get so caught up in I've got to have this much money to live the way that I want to live, whatever. Let me tell you something. For me to live the way, to, to live uninhibited, it would take tens of millions of dollars. It wouldn't take any time to spend a million bucks. So quit trying to worry about your money. And, you know, like this deal where people say, oh, we're going to have kids one day, but we'll wait till we can afford it. Look. If you can't afford, find a way. Yeah, if you can't afford the name brand stuff to, for them to wear, that's fine. They can wear the other, like whatever. Just be happy and worry about you. And it, and if you're honest with yourself, all the people that you look up to and the people that you emulate, they are happy and that they are happy with themselves. And and you see that in them. You may not realize that's why you emulate them, but it's got to be a big part of it. I promise. Well, I yeah, I don't think I could have said it any better. You you you've got to be happy. You've got to enjoy not just what you do, but who you do it with. And you've just, you've got to wake up every day and just put a smile on your face. Keep moving forward. Yep. Well done. This Man. was fun. Yeah, it was. Good we time. should, uh, we should do it again. 
Yeah, well, uh, we can do it again tomorrow, which is in two minutes. <laughs> it's 11.58 p.m. It's, it's the middle <laughs> of the night. We're in California. We're both uh, on a completely different sleep schedule. This is the second podcast we've recorded tonight. Tell everybody about yours. Uh, it's called Roadcast. It is uh, available on iTunes and iHeartRadio, or you can just follow. I always post the links. I, I post one every Monday on my social media. So on Twitter, on Snapchat, and on Instagram, it's at Matt. M-A-T-T, Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T-T, the number eight, at Matt Merritt 8. And on Facebook, it's Matt Merritt Professional Bull Riding Rodeo Entertainer. Uh, but again, the easiest way, it's Roadcast, like podcast, but Roadcast on iTunes and iHeartRadio. Why? Because you always do it from the road. I always road. do it from the road. And uh, I was I was getting sour where I was going to get on airplanes and jumping in the car to go somewhere. And I was like, this sucks. I don't want to travel. And then I thought, you know what? Instead of letting this suck, I'm going to start opening my eyes a little bit more and use this podcast as a way to make me smell the roses, and that's what it's, it's been doing. And um, I don't know; it's been good for me. Realize how blessed, how fortunate we are. Yep. And uh, make it fun again. You know, Hugh. 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 Dang right. Hugh. Dang right. This has been fun, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, for jumping on and, and being part of it. Thanks for having me. You bet.